0: You are listening to Let's Be Honest with your host, Just Jonda. to Let's Be Honest. I'm your host, Just Jonda, and I am bringing you yet another episode of Just Jonda's LBD. This is our legal breakdown number 14, where I'm going to be talking about days 9 through 11 of the R. Kelly trial. Now, the trial currently is in a About, I would say around day 13, there has been some time off or at least a delay on one of the days because of these horrible storms that hit the Northeast due to Hurricane Ida and this trial being held in Brooklyn, it was affected there has also been the labor day weekend and it was a long weekend some areas i know here in northern virginia the dmv uh our kids had off like four days It was like what the hell they were off friday <laughs> saturday sunday monday and it went back to school on tuesday for those who hadn't started school yet so there was uh so we've had that going on. But the trial has definitely been going full swing when court has been in session and the hits just keep on coming. It has been pretty interesting. Now, there's been certain days that I will say we've got much of the same, still more women coming to testify about their relationships with robert kelly especially those who had relationships that began when they were underage, because again the prosecution the, the feds are trying to build this case regarding the criminal enterprise again they really haven't focused on the MANAC cases yet, I suspect that's coming. But definitely focused on building this criminal enterprise as it relates to um, the illegal activity that was taking place either by Mr. Kelly directly or on his behalf by uh, his agents, roadies, etc. So we're going to jump right in at day nine, where there was an individual who testified, yet another Jane Doe, although when they're in court, they will give them names to distinguish them. So this uh, young lady was referred to by the name of Faith, not her real name, but that's just, again, what they referred to them to make it To distinguish them a little bit more, I suspect for the jury, instead of saying day one, day uh, I'm sorry, Jane one, Jane Doe one, Jane Doe two, which is the way they're referred to in the indictment. Faith testified that she was 19 when she met R. Kelly, and she wasn't the individual who was really a big fan of his music. It was actually her sister, so they met him in San Antonio when in 2017, when he was on tour there, which seemed to happen a lot. Uh, She said that he enticed her to go on the road with him and that he did pay for flights and hotels when she flew to different cities to meet him. She is yet another person who underscores the herpes issue and specifically that he did not tell her that he had herpes when he exposed her to it. And she is the third uh, person to allege that she was exposed to and contracted herpes while with R. Kelly and that he did not tell them. Now, Geronda Pace said that he mentioned he might have it uh, before one of their encounters, but these two, at least two individuals said that he didn't tell them at all. So uh, one of his assistants, one of his former assistants, also testified that same day, talking about his system of rules and there are many women who talked about his system of rules and specifically the anger he displayed when the rule when his rules were broken. This assistant now this is a female assistant she testified that um he confronted her over violating one of his rules. And that rule was not having conversations with the women. Now there's been more than one person who has testified that not only were the women not allowed to speak to each other, but they weren't allowed to speak to anyone unless they were asking permission for something. They had to look down even when some individuals drove him around, they would have to have the one person testified, a driver that he had to keep the rear view mirror down so that he would not be you know, caught looking at the person in the back seat and the person wouldn't be looking at him. And so uh, she testified that uh, when she, that he found out at one point that he uh that she found out that he and one of the women talked about him and that he was absolutely enraged so um we get a little bit more insight from this person because she worked for him for a couple of years she started working for him at his infamous chocolate factory which we know is his recording studio in chicago and she said that typically things were pretty you know even keel because she was an assistant she wasn't one of his women i guess one of his so-called concubines but once he once she crossed the line which she didn't realize she was crossing by speaking with this woman even congenially that she was not only scared for herself, but she was scared for the other woman as well. She also testified that there was at least two instances where she overheard physical abuse or she learned about it through people talking, uh, uh, speaking with her about it, particularly the women. Um, And she also again was responsible for helping to maintain the rules of the house and uh, and/or notifying him when the rules were broken. She said that any failure to uh, any failure to follow the rules could result in being fired. It could result in pay cuts. Um, she even got a warning once from her superior. Because she allowed one of the women to use the bathroom without his permission. She allowed the woman to leave a van when they were on location somewhere. And so she got in trouble for that. Um, And again, she went into some of the things she knew that the women were forbidden from doing, which was looking or speaking to anyone and particularly looking and speak or speaking to other men. And she just described the fact that even normal everyday activities were highly policed um one of the things that she talked about that was particularly disturbing and again it goes to this level of mind control and i think that that's why it's so important for people especially the jury to hear about uh these rules in particular and not just the rules but the fact that they were followed in such an exacting manner because it helps them to understand this level of mind control that would have these young women who, some of whom continue to deal with him when they grew into adult women, that it, it kept them still with him and following these rules so this was a very problematic uh a very problematic area for sure so i think that um this is going to be very important for the prosecution when they when there's jurors in that room who says yes he sounds crazy done some things that may make us a bit uncomfortable however um, and however, did anything he did anything he did rise to the level of a crime? If we're not saying that these women were locked in cages and handcuffed or, or handcuffed to radiators at the various hotels, especially when we're talking about women who, uh, seemingly of their own free will, would fly to places to be with him. So it is very important, I think to help underscore this level of mind control um, and to know some of the inner workings, just like it's very important as you go from person to person, uh, these young women who are all testifying to following these rules, as well as some of the activities that took place. One of the most important being that a lot of their activities with him were videotaped or photos taken because now we're not just talking about mind control. We're also talking about them being controlled by fear of exposure, um, whether it's just nude pictures or sexual activity that they would be ashamed of in a world where things would be released about them and there's really nothing that they could do about it. I mean, no matter it doesn't matter that legitimate websites take down the video of him urinating on the young girl or him allegedly urinating on the young lady. He was found not guilty as it relates to that case. But the the major issue that comes into play with any of that is once it's out there, it's out there. It's not like there aren't sites where these things could be found, not to mention the th- tens of thousands of copies of that tape that were sold or disseminated in some way among the many people who clearly knew that the young lady was underage. You could look at her and tell, but still showed the tape or distributed the tape among friends and associates. So so one of the things she talks about is when they got in elevators. When you got in an elevator with one of these women, whether with R. Kelly or anyone on the team, like for instance, if they were taking the women from place to place, perhaps to meet him or what have you, they had to face the wall so do you get what i'm saying when you walk in the elevator you're facing the wall but what do we all do we turn around even if we're not necessarily looking at one another especially if you're in the elevator with people you don't know these women had to face the wall like a child standing in a corner for punishment in second grade and she was asked specifically how, how many of the women or his female guests had to do this on a regular basis and her direct quote was it was all of them so next we're going to go to day 10. now we still have some spillover with the testimony of uh, faith who began testifying tuesday she further testified about how she found out that she had herpes she said that she began to develop cold like symptoms bumps all inside of her mouth and of course she went to a doctor thank goodness and she was diagnosed despite repeated efforts to contact kelly he didn't return her calls and this is someone that had dealt with him off and on for a number of years however interestingly enough when she got in contact with a lawyer and then left him several more messages, he clearly got the message and called her back. He still wouldn't admit to giving her the disease and he refused to discuss it on the phone, but at least she got a call back. Now again, Faith was of age during her contact with Kelly, so her testimony is really more about his repeated transmission of herpes to sexual partners without notifying them, as I mentioned earlier, which is against the law, at least it is New York. His doctor previously testified that Kelly had been treated for herpes as early as 2007 and that he told his client or his patient, he had been his personal physician for about 25 years, that he needed to keep his partners informed. He also uh, testified, and I talked about this a week or so ago when I talked about the doctor's testimony, that he believes that Kelly had herpes as early as 2000, but he began actively treating him. Perhaps he continued to have outbreaks and probably some of the women that he was with around 2007, because that's when he made the comment about having to call in so many prescriptions that he began to know the phone number of the pharmacy across from Kelly's home by heart. The defense seemed to focus more on the fact that her relationship with Kelly was consensual. I, I I, I get why they're doing that because obviously they want to continue to reinforce to the jury that there's no enterprise here. There is nothing that he did that would amount to mind control or cult-like behavior, or, or or just pretty much anything that feeds into this notion that R. Kelly and or the people around him had this vast situation going on, this vast criminal enterprise, conspiracy, whatever you want to call it, that amounted to them doing all kinds of things to these women to keep this scenario going on their boss's behalf. Now, and, and, I, and I get that. And while she testified that some of their encounters were a bit intimidating, like having sex with him when she really didn't want to, or one time feeling compelled to do whatever he wanted because a gun was laying on the nightstand, the prosecution never made any claim that Faith's encounters with Kelly were non-consensual. Again, pointing out that some of them may have been uncomfortable, but nothing that was non-consensual. Now, she, like the others, said that he insisted on taking photos and videos as he did with the other women, and that is definitely something that will come more into play and will, again, help the prosecution with this criminal enterprise, please. I personally think, and this is just Janda speaking, that um, the defense had probably reached a point where they don't see a need to argue back and forth with any of these witnesses about the herpes allegations. His doctor testified that he has it, his records showed that he has it, and obviously the prosecution wouldn't have put these women on the stand with the pro- with the production of medical documents or medical records showing they have it as well. So as the doctor said herpes 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 we get it kelly's got it and he has no issue with spreading it around i think when it comes to the herpes issue the defense is just going to make one sweeping argument as it relates to all of those allegations that the transmission of herpes is not illegal as defined by the law making it illegal to knowingly sleep with a person and not deform them of your std status Why do I think they're going to do that? It's because during the pretrial motions, defense counsel argued that herpes is not medically characterized as a sexually transmitted disease. And the law that makes transmission illegal specifically cites sexually transmitted diseases. The court didn't grant their motion, but of course, You know, speaking as a defense attorney, that doesn't mean that they won't argue that issue again and certainly um, have it ready on appeal if R. Kelly is convicted, particularly of the RICO charges, because the RICO charge, because if he is, that is going to be with the assumption that the arguments made about some of these underlying offenses that go to shore up the RICO charge, one of them being the herpes issue, they'll argue that that perhaps was one, if not the only, but at least one of multiple things that may have swayed the jury and swayed them unfairly. So faith Uh, Faith talking about the herpes issue uh, does provide important testimony as it relates to the enterprise, and she also provided some additional information that is very key to the notion of an operating uh, criminal enterprise. One moment, please. I'm going to take a sip of tea for my throat. So, this is where some really important information comes into play this is where the prosecution was rubbing their palms together saying yeah we've got we've got some good stuff now faith appeared in the surviving r kelly documentary she claimed she testified that about a week before it aired she was contacted by and met with one of r kelly's employees and that that employee showed her compromising photographs of several women who appeared in the documentary, and they told her that photographs would be released if she continued participating. And we know the implication is photographs, including herself. A week after the documentary aired, because at that point, she would have already done her part for the documentary. I mean, this was a what a, a I think it was six parts, but three night documentary that appeared on Lifetime and is now on Netflix. Obviously, the week before it airs, the documentary is in the can. Even the documentary maker probably couldn't do, do anything about it at that point. It is sitting at Lifetime. They're promoting it and it is all ready to go. So, as usual, not only are these are 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 they're criminals, but they're stupid, about as stupid as their musical idiot servant the leader. So at any rate, a week after the documentary aired, a Facebook page was put up and several nude or semi nude photos of Faith and others were on the page. Hmm coincidence? We think not. Then Faith claims Kelly himself wrote her after she filed a lawsuit against him. Prosecutors had faith identify a letter that is allegedly from Kelly where he accused her of trying to destroy his legacy and other choice words. The letter went on to say that he would ruin her reputation and career and produce at least 10 men to say that they slept with her. The letter also included photographs of her that Kelly referenced saying he would not share them yet. By the way, just as a side note, still crazy uh, Kelly fans coming to the courthouse outside of the courthouse. In fact, Faith's father was accosted by a fan calling his daughter stupid Uh, when they were leaving court the day before. So this is on Tuesday, the first day of her testimony. And at that point, the judge admonished onlookers that further bad behavior would result in a closed courtroom. So these individuals are still being harassed and intimidated, even by fans coming to the courthouse. So apparently we're not dealing with the brain trust here. Next. Now this Everybody just grab you a glass of something, a cup of something, if it's during the day, because we are about to really cross the cross the threshold into something that is probably the most, I would say, interesting in some ways, but certainly the newest of the individuals testifying, which is finally. After 27 years, the minister, the good pastor, Nathan Edmund, who married the couple and the by the couple, we're talking about 15-year-old uh, at the time, Aaliyah, and 27-year-old R. Kelly, he married the couple back in 1994 and for the first time he is speaking and he is doing that on the stand at Ed, minister edmund testified that he did indeed conduct the ceremony of this of the two in a chicago area hotel room and that he hasn't spoken publicly about it since marrying the couple now i have several concerns with that. I'm going to tell you what he said, and then, of course, you know I've got something to say, and boy, am I going to say it. So Minister Edmonds claims that he was approached by a friend of his who told him that he had um that he had an individual and his fiance who wanted to get married and you know due to various circumstances travel etc that they needed to do it right then and there because the person was um they had to leave town or just some excuse so he met them at the appointed place which was a Chicago hotel room the couple came in in matching jogging suits he claimed Not to know them. Now, this is 94. R. Kelly, certainly popular, certainly a celebrity, probably still what I would consider more black famous than universally famous at the time. But he was certainly well known. And even though perhaps only known by one segment of the community, because of the type of music he came right out the gate doing and, uh, the fact that he hadn't blown up to be like songwriter R. Kelly for other people as he did, uh, once the nineties progressed, um, there's certainly a, po- uh, a possibility that had he gone to another city, people didn't know him. But here in Chicago, I'm finding it very hard to believe, uh, especially even getting this man to come out short notice, marry some people you don't even know. Okay, but then again, everybody who uh, who's wearing the cloth isn't necessarily a man of the cloth. So he claimed not to know who they were, and he said he declined signing an NDA that they showed him because he basically said it wasn't worth the paper it was written on. It was probably, uh, again, you. we're dealing when it, it sounds like when it comes to the people around R. Kelly helping him to execute some of the foolishness with him and, and the women and even this marriage to uh, Aaliyah, it sounds like he was dealing even with his manager with like, Lenny and squiggy attorneys at law. If you're a person of a certain age, you'll understand that. So it doesn't surprise me that this so-called NDA probably wasn't worth the paper it was written on. So he said, I'm not signing it, but that he gave his word that he would never say anything. He said that he was offered 25 or $50 for performing the ceremony but he turned it down because again he said it was a favor to a friend um and that allegedly he found the whole situation a bit odd he claims quote i didn't think it was anybody special i didn't understand it at all unquote so you didn't think it was anybody special you didn't understand it you found it a bit odd but you didn't take money for it. They wanted you to sign a non-disclosure agreement. You thought that was stupid. You didn't do it. You knew that these individuals, or at least one of them, was supposedly somebody, but you just weren't sure who. So all of these alleged misgivings But you marry them anyway. You marry a 27-year-old man who very much looked like a man. I was around during that time. I certainly saw what R. Kelly looked like. But more importantly, you married him to somebody who very much looked like a 15-year-old girl, if not younger. Let's not pretend that Aaliyah falls into the category of being one of the unfortunate Black girls who is... um, who people look at and pretend that they don't know that they are girls because of their level of body development or that they may be overweight or the myriad of reasons that people give for the adultification of young black girls Aaliyah did not fall into that category rather slim um had What some would consider, I don't, but certainly at that age, um, I won't say boyish, let's say a more athletic figure was not heavy up top, just a, a very slim trim girl that pretty much fit that whole, you know, athletic sort of b-girl look that they were uh, cultivating with her she fit it perfectly not just because of the styling but even body wise she that's she fit that that look and even when uh, she had her unfortunate demise in what was it 2000 2001 yes because it's the 20th anniversary so 2001 when uh when she was 2021, she still really didn't look that much different. And probably, you know, she's on tour, she's working out, she danced, all of that. So given how young she looked at when she died, 2021, at 15, not to mention the fact that we saw her, this is not somebody that didn't make you question, how old is this baby? But okay, fine. You're gonna put your blinders on. You're a man, you're in a room full of men. Everybody seems to think this is okay. You and of course, there's a marriage license saying that there's 18. So if you want to put blinders on and just go along with the flow, then fine. You know, because because at the end of the day, there was a legitimate marriage license. Well, we know it was bogus from the fact that you know, there was illegal means to in obtaining it. But from the, from the vantage point of this minister, there was a legitimate marriage license from a state agency. And probably if he asked for ID, they had had the fake IDs in play because they used them to get the marriage license. So all he had to do was close his eyes, hold his nose and jump. Right. But then For years after, with all of the things that have occurred, and the many people that I have no doubt that contacted him because of the fact that he, as the officiant, he had to sign a document like any other officiant that they did, that they are a licensed officiant who, you know, officiated this wedding. I know I've said that the word "efficient" umpteen times, but that's what it is. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that he has been contacted countless times because this marriage license was public record and uh, any documents uh, going along with it, which means that his name was attached to it. And at no time did you speak about anything, despite knowing. What you certainly know now and what I suspect you knew shortly thereafter, because this became public news pretty quickly after it happened. I mean, aside from the announcement on MTV, then it spread like wildfire and you're right there in Chicago, which means if it wasn't big news anywhere else, it damn sure was breaking all kinds of channels i can't say the internet right (laughs) but it was all over but okay bruh you turned down the money i think you did it because you knew you were shady but okay so that was pretty much it for him i mean what can you say it you they had documents in order you married him even from a defense cross-examination standpoint This is not a witness that you want to harp on because even though he's pretty much just saying, okay, the marriage did happen because I married him, I married them, which of course brings together all of the testimony as it relates to the illegal enterprise putting this marriage into motion and making sure that it happened by getting the IDs and all that, which uh, his manager testified to, like, what, day three. Um, There really isn't very much to be gained from that, certainly not from the defense standpoint. For the prosecution, it pretty much just ties the whole Aaliyah piece into a bow. So now they can officially check off that particular item among their 14 uh, enumerated items that they want to put before the court to reinforce the um, the illegal enterprise so on day 11 there's a woman who testified now this is a reluctant witness among the women probably the first openly admittedly reluctant witness she is 31 now and again alexis is just the name that they gave her she met r kelly in 2006 in florida when he was on tour she said she was 15 or 16 and she tried to hedge a bit on her on her age but the reality of this is if you say that you met him uh in a certain year or on the blah 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 tour it's not like these things can't be verified that if you say that you met them in florida at on the whatever tour and that was in 2006 um once they verify that there was indeed a tour there it was in florida the time and place matches up all they have to do is link that up with your age so even though you're trying to hedge a little bit there's really nothing that you can be done. Now, some of these other folks are like, I met him at McDonald's at, in or around whatever, but there are several of these women who specifically met him certain time and place on tour. So it is what it is. She said that um, she was 15 going on 16 actually, and she continued a sexual relationship with him that began when she was 16 for about the next nine years. She was invited backstage, and this is yet another, aside from meeting people outside of McDonald's, this is another one of his tropes. Um, She was invited backstage by someone in his entourage and met him the next day on the tour bus in a mall parking lot. She signed an NDA, doesn't matter. An NDA, I think I keep mentioning that, not sure if I said for new listeners, that's a non-disclosure agreement she uh she was a child so it doesn't matter under the age of 18 you can't sign contracts so even if she did one now that wasn't worth the paper it was printed on it interesting that the minister said it about the form of it in the case of her uh, in the case of alexis doesn't matter how it was written or how well it was written if she was under 18 then it really doesn't matter um she and, and as I said, she admitted to being a reluctant witness. Um, so she claimed to be hazy on the details for age when sex began. She talked about she's not sure how often, which is why the uh, the feds or the um, the federal prosecutor. Uh, went ahead and asked her about being a reluctant witness, so that the court would know. That's why trying to get things with her was like pulling teeth. It wasn't because sometimes when you have a person in front of the court, or, and in this case, uh, very important in front of a jury, it's not. It's easy to discern is a person sort of hedging or kind of acting like they're hazy on the details a bit because they're actually making them up and in which case they're just not credible and you just ignore everything they said uh even if it's you know the good and the bad you know because there's a certain point where even if someone is telling some truth if they're on the stand lying you just pretty much don't believe anything they say. And from the defense standpoint, especially if it's a prosecution witness, you don't want, you just want the jury to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So that is uh, an even more important reason, just from a standpoint of trial strategy. That's uh even more of an important reason to point out to the court and in this case the judge and jury that this is a reluctant witness so we're going to be struggling a bit to get answers from her it doesn't mean that she's not credible or that she's lying it simply means that because she still has feelings for him she doesn't want to say anything to get him in trouble which means that we have to pull teeth. And she admitted it. She not only admitted that she was reluctant, but that she did indeed still have some feelings for him. And after nine years, especially when it started when you were a young girl, makes sense. uh, She did talk about um, not being sure how often uh she did say that she wasn't sure how often i see that we have Faisal mosheer thank you for coming into the room um she said that uh sometimes they would get together but they wouldn't always have sex they'd watch movies they'd hang out and it was a little strange um, face almost sheer, I noticed that you keep trying to call in, please put in the comments because I'm not really sure who you are. Please identify yourself in the comments and give me a little bit about what you want to ask about. Okay. So uh, it's, it's just weird. You know, this is a young girl, you're traveling to the movies, into the mall, but I guess at a certain point she was of age and she did like other women say that she was concerned about being on video under, um, and, uh, he did allegedly record her as well. And as we know, that seemed to be her thing. She became pregnant in 2010 and she stopped seeing him, but she resumed a relationship in 2012 with him and ultimately stopped in 2015. So this was a relationship that didn't end too long before he got arrested. And like I said, she admits she still has feelings for him. Next, there was a technical witness. So we are starting to get into some of the technical stuff. There was a DNA expert from Homeland Security who testified that... um, There was, well, actually the Homeland Security was someone else. I'll get into that in a moment. But there was a DNA test expert who testified on the behalf of the prosecution who said that a DNA specimen was provided to them by Geronda Pace. She claimed that she wiped uh, R. Kelly's sperm off of her the day that he slapped her and he choked her, and um, she kept the shirt. The expert called by the prosecutors did positively identify the sample as belonging to Kelly, but on cross examination by the defense, did admit that they, you know, they have no real way of being sure exactly when this. Um, when this specimen was collected and the reality of it is is that there doesn't seem to be any dispute that he and geronda pace had a sexual relationship the only thing that seems to be in dispute obviously is timing whether or not it was always consensual and again on down the line with some of the rules and all of the other stuff that came into play and obviously the defense raising questions about what her actual moti- what her actual motives are for participating in any of this stuff, whether it's the surviving R. Kelly situation, I believe that she's written a book, not sure about a civil case with her, there might be one. Um, and of course, now the criminal trial. So, you know, as it relates to anything with her, they're certainly going to call into question. And again, the fact that there was DNA that belonged to him that she may have had doesn't really change anything because there doesn't seem to be any dispute about the fact that they slept together is just the manner, time, place, and all of that. But if you can't pin that down, that doesn't really change much about her testimony. I don't think that it undercuts it, but it doesn't necessarily bolster it either. So uh, I'm going to chalk this up to a waste of an expert unless they got something else he's going to testify to later. Now, I did learn something new, I must say. I, I'm not sure about many of my listeners, but I am a person who loves to learn something new every day, no matter how big or small. It could be silly. It, hell, it could be even related to some of the gossip I follow. It could Television shows I watch. It could literally be anything as long as I learn something new every day. And so when I was doing my research on this and and taking my notes, I did learn something new, but since, uh, I wrote this down yesterday, I got to chalk this up to something I learned yesterday. The DNA expert who testified again, the useless expert is certainly, as it relates to this shirt said that the chances of this sample being from someone else was one in 11 decillion. Now, Okay, fine. I don't really care about that part. That's not what I learned new. What I learned new is that there's a such thing as 1000000000000000000000000000000000 D-E-C-I-L-L-I-O-N, which it has 33 zeros. Wow. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, I just thought I'd put it out there. But anywho. <laughs> That's the silly part of me. You may think that is no big deal, but I personally am going to find lots of ways to work decillion into my vocabulary. In fact, uh, my daughter and I are doing some T-shirts. I have a feeling there's going to be something about decillion involved. Don't steal it. I'll come after you. Next, another um, another... Uh, expert. Now, this one I liked because this one brought something to the table. Now, again, as with anything, this is going to be one of those where the finder of fact, in this case, the jury is going to have to decide whether or not they feel that what has been presented as credible enough to attribute this statement to R. Kelly, but it's still some pretty cool evidence, one way or the other, and it's up to the Trier, uh, the Finder fact, to determine whether or not they're going to use this in terms of if they're going to use this in voting for guilt in this case. So, a computer forensic expert from Homeland Security testified about the fact that they did what, of course, we knew they would do, which is gather all the uh, all every device that is remotely associated with Mr. Kelly from Welcome Slovel from his home, Welcome Big Life from his home, you know, the chocolate factory, wherever phones, computers, gathered all the evidence and in dumping all of those pulling every email every picture all of those things they found a text but the text were from was from an unnamed sender on one of the phones belonging to kelly and it was dated uh december 24th 2017. so imagine getting this for a christmas eve gift quote you're young and there's a lot of things you don't know, dot, dot, dot. I want to groom you and be bonded with you. The only thing I could say when I read that, because I, it was one of those moments where I was at my computer and I read it and I literally had to sit back and go, huh, well, I hope that was for a song. And if it was for a song, I'm going to suggest a title. The title is called Super Creepy Man. Finally, want to talk a little bit about this uh, Vulture article, which I loved. And I actually confirmed this in several other places, but it first came up when I was uh, reading because I, you know, in order to pull this information together, as you see from my episode notes, and as I've told you, um, this, because it's federal court, there are no, excuse me, taking a sip of my tea again. Sorry, it sounds like I gulped because I almost choked myself. Um, I found, um, I I have to go to a number of places often, pulling um, these days together, which is why it takes me a few days behind them in the court, because I want to give you the, the most comprehensive information as well as confirming it and uh confirming the things i read especially if they're not from mainstream sources so i'm usually pulling things from about 10 or 11 sources to get these three-day or four-day increments and so i just happened to come across this um this article from vulture that also was talking about the trial and mentioned um R. Kelly's reaction being very stoic and and everybody talks about that, right? Well, I will tell you that as uh, I'm gonna invite uh, Sean in, uh, that as a a defense attorney, typically what uh, what ends up happening- Uh, happening Hello, Sean. Uh Hello, Sean. Uh uh, you Come are, on, John, you how are you? The echo there, so I'm not really sure what's so going on. But you probably need to turn down whatever you're listening to me on, and just listen to me through your speaker to to me through or through your, speaker. your headphones. You got, or through, it. Your headphones. You got it. Or through your headphones. Got it. Okay, how we doing? Okay, how we doing? Okay, I'm still I'll here. Just talking, and then I'll okay. I'm I'm so okay (laughs) all right you're still giving me an echo that i can hear so okay all right so if you have any questions type them in unless you can call in without that echo because i was really looking forward to hearing what you had to say uh especially on this next part um so at any rate they talked about how he hadn't reacted much and and as i was saying before i tried to bring in a guest is the As a defense attorney, I always tell my clients not to have any reaction. Now, I would imagine that given that individuals are wearing a mask, they probably appear even more stoic, even less reactionary, especially if they are not someone who typically emotes with their eyes or makes like really wild faces because because you know some people are like really over dramatic right they're like ah, ah, you know and if you're not somebody like that and you're wearing a mask and you're not one of those people that is really you know we all know someone who makes really frowned up faces and reacting to everything kind of like very rubber-faced like people call um jim carrey the rubber face comedian because he could do so many things with his faces most of us know people like that um they're people who uh you don't want on your team if you're playing a card game because they don't have a good poker face or they don't have a good anything face because everything shows so that is something i typically see in some women uh r kelly being a man number one and number two you know and again this is me being an armchair psychologist seeming to, coming off a bit like a sociopath, I wouldn't imagine that he would have a lot of reactions unless something really means something to him and on top of that, you have the face the, the fact that he is wearing a mask so at any rate uh they noticed and so did other newspapers that throughout this entire trial because we're we are in We well into week three and really if you count jury selection we're really in week four of this trial and so they notice that he has never reacted which for again if he's my client that's a good thing i don't need you reacting to anything good or bad and there's only two times when he reacted which to me underscores it is the height of toxic masculinity and it just really speaks to the type of person he is the first is that when a witness testified and this was around day this was when faith testified actually so this was around day nine or ten she testified that at one point he went and finished himself off or or masturbated whatever because he really couldn't get it going. He put his head down and shook his head. Seriously? There was a woman who testified in court for the entire world to hear. Well, you know, the newspapers are going to put it in the entire world. That not only did she have did she not have consensual sex with you, which some of the other women testified to, but theirs was more along the lines of they were under the age of consent, right, but there was a woman who testified that you held her down and physically assaulted her in what people would is as, as sick as this is gonna this next statement is gonna sound, and the more conventional way that people think of sexual assault. Because the reality of it is, is that no matter how many different ways we tell people that sexual assault can can happen in far more benign circumstances than being thrown against a wall in an alleyway and held at knife point, they st- most people still have to be reprogrammed to get that idea of what assault what sexual assault looks like out of their mind when hearing someone say that no it happened with someone that i went on a date with we were in my house we were chilling and the next thing i know on and on and on so and in this particular situation this woman testified that you did indeed assault her in that more uh violent way that uh most people associate with rape no reaction there was nothing that anyone noticed about you other than again sitting there with your stoic expression which is fine because again if i were your attorney that's exactly what i would want but if someone says something about your sexual prowess because, of course, this notion that you were having issues with performing is certainly going to your sexual prowess, right? That you're going to shake your head in and, and actual show a reaction to. Interesting. The second one was when a few clips of his music was played. Because, of course, his lyrics, as you can imagine, his lyrics are going to be talked about because there are some, and I certainly am one, who can very easily look to his lyrics and see some of his pathology in terms of the way that he talks about, describes sex, even in writing uh, music for Aaliyah, like age ain't nothing but a number. Well, as expected, his lyrics would be talked about and clips of his music played. And what does this man do? He bops a little to it. He gets a little head nod on. Like, I'm like, dude, you've heard your songs before. Are you reminding yourself that, yeah, I may be on trial, but I am the shit? And to me, it not only speaks to who he is as a person, the mindset that he has, but it also speaks to the fact that this was an individual who never thought that he would be here, so much so that the level of appropriate and inappropriate behavior at certain times, which many people do struggle with, but we're talking about a 54-year-old man in court fighting for his life with the first of many charges both in New York and in other places that could result in him never being free again just and I'm I'm talking about uh, cumulatively especially in relation to his biological age um the fact that things that would get a reaction from you would be one the what you would consider to be the questioning of your sexual prowess when it's really just a description of what should be many embarrassing details about your alleged sex life like the fact that you've had herpes for you know, what, over 20 years now, or possibly over 20 years, but certainly being treated for at least the last 14 or 15, and that anybody you come into contact with, apparently, you know, you're like a one-man herpes wrecking crew. No, that's not a problem. People talking about the fact that you like to take inappropriate photos, marry marry someone who's underage, upcoming testimony uh, that is going to come in play, I'm sure, about um, the urination incident, all of these things and, and many more. Those things don't bother you. The fact that I'm sure at some point, if not the prosecution, certainly defense and the defense in a matter of trying to make you appear sympathetic and incapable of running a criminal enterprise, probably mentioning the fact that you can't read and, and your lack of education. No, those things are fine. Um, the fact that letters are being presented that you may have a, a threatened. ...potential witnesses against you. Those things are fine. But mention that you had a hard time holding an erection, so you had to go and spank your monkey. That gets you nodding your head and feeling like this entire proceeding is out of order. And then, of course, if we play some of your songs well, you're like music soothing the savage beast. It's my music and I am the shit. So I have got to bop to it. Like I've never heard this shit before, despite the fact that I'm in court fighting for my life. Okay. I guess. And on that note, we'll end because I simply can't. Thank you, Volter, for bringing that to my attention. And then of course, me following up with some additional research to find that that is, those things did indeed occur. Because I suppose if you're gonna end on some note in a trial like this, you might as well end on one that makes you shake your head and you know, maybe smile ruefully about just (laughs) how stupid people are, my goodness. So I am going to end here. I am going to obviously pick up with the next uh, few days of trial. Like I said, uh, we just went through 9 to 11, I believe at this point. They are around 14-ish. So I'm going to get you caught up on that within the next day or two. Tonight, we are going to have a show that is going to bring in some recent happenings in pop culture but the focus is really going to be on convenient trolling. When it's convenient to con- to troll things that you feel fit within somebody else's agenda when it really just fits yours. You'll find out later and it's going to be a heck of an episode with some stuff that I hope Really gets you all talking, especially given that um, we're going to make those points as it relates to some current events going on, especially as they relate to some of your favorite and hopefully given the characters involved, not so favorite Uh, rap artists. So we're going to definitely get into some juicy stuff later on. So I hope you come back here to Let's Be Honest. And of course, when we do LBD number 15, we're going to get deeper into that. By the way, the Theranos trial is starting. As I said before, I probably will not do that trial as in-depth as the R. Kelly trial, only because it is so highly technical, but I will hit some of the high points of that trial, like at least going over the charges and then uh, bringing you back in uh, if or when if or when she testifies. So we'll talk more about that and maybe even do a poll on the FNDD, which you can find on Facebook. You look in the the info box for the link and maybe even do a poll to see how deep the audience wants me to go into that trial because we've definitely got some pop culture things coming up. And The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City starts on Sunday. So me and Riri will be back to talk about that show because boy is that going to be a ride and that also brings in some legal stuff too regarding their resident uh criminal defendant jen Shaw. so lots and lots happening and coming up stick with your girl and as always thank you for hanging in the sources that i used for today's episode are going to be in the info box for this episode, so you'll see it there just in case you wanna follow up on some of these articles. Please, if you have Apple iTunes, please go on there and listen to these episodes or refer them to your friends so that they can listen to these episodes. Leave us five stars and comments. If you have any stories, questions, ideas, or juice that you want me to know, you can DM me on any of my social media platforms, including Instagram and Twitter, at J. That's L E T S B E H O N E S T. JJ or you can uh, send me an email at let's be honest jj at gmail.com and I will be sure to get back to you and verify. Um, beyond that you know how this goes. if you're interested and want to talk about it chances are I'm interested and I want to talk about it with you and if it allows me to put my law hat on you know I want to get into it and break it down. so let's be honest together. have a great one.